The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. 86% now think Joe Biden is too old to serve another four years. And even the mainstream media cannot ignore the concerns. The New York Times editorial board, this was uh, unbelievable, it was eviscerating. He said, quote, his assurances, in other words, didn't work. He must do better. The stakes in this presidential election are too high. Adding this is a dark moment for the Biden presidency. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, it's great to be here with you today. Thank you for joining me. Let's pray for our president. Let's pray for our country. I was talking to Maggie, my producer here. Uh, we were just saying, man, we're just praying for peace in the world, too. We're looking at what's happening around the, the planet right now. It's good to be with you. we got a great show. We're on the advent of Lent, and um, we will uh, we'll dive into that as well. We've got a, a really great look at uh, everything from marriage today to to the benefits of fasting and so much more. There's a lot going on in the world uh, right now, too, and we'll talk a little bit more about the president coming up here. But um, new numbers just came out from the, uh, I don't know if you saw this, from the Labor Department. Um, prices are still going up today. And uh, the Labor Department verified what everybody else knows. Inflation went up very significantly last month. I mean, prices went up three-tenths of 1% over December which was more than they expected. Um, you know, I, I, I think they went up 3.1% compared to January of last year. Uh, housing was hard hit as rent went up six-tenths of a percent. The stock market was not happy about this, of course. You might have loved the ride. I mean, it was hitting all these record highs, right? Well, the Dow, and I don't know where it is as of this broadcast right now. I have not seen it earlier today. It was down 500 points. So that's a pretty, pretty big hit. But you know it, right? You go to the grocery store. You look at your bill and you're like, what? I used to buy a cart full of food for this much. You fill up your tank. You're like, what? It, it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. And, you know, it's not over yet either. Uh, if you think you're paying high prices now, uh, I was at a Super Bowl party over the weekend. And one of my friends uh, works at a the fifth largest, um, you know, meat distributor in the, in the nation. And another guy does does rendering for an international company. And I asked these guys, I said, you know, my, Kathy and I, my wife and I, we went out and I, I wanted to get some, some meat and we wasn't, it wasn't a restaurant, we were in a store. I couldn't believe how much it was to pick up a filet or a couple of ribeyes. I, I'm thinking, I don't want to spend that type of money. It's crazy. Um, strap on your seatbelt, get ready. If you like meat, you're going to pay more for it. John Boyd Jr., the president of the National Black Farmers Association told Fox News, this is a bad situation for America's cattle farmers and for America because we're producing a billion pounds less beef than we were in the country a year ago. Here's a clip from um, uh, from WHAS in Louisville on the future of the price of meat. Check this out. If you're looking for a juicy burger or a steak, be prepared. It's going to cost you. It always does. Why can't we just have nice things for cheap? Okay, so this is according to a new report focused on beef. It says that the price for cattle is skyrocketing in the U.S. because of low cattle herds. Researchers found herds have been cut to their lowest levels in nearly a decade. So it's causing ranchers to drive the prices up for the product in order to meet a profit. Despite the setback, the report notes demand for beef remains at its second highest level in the last 30 years. Yeah, no kidding. And I, look, my friend said to me, if you think meat's high now, it's only going to get worse. 
It's only going to get worse. I think sales for those guys were, were down. The USDA's biannual cattle inventory report showed that the country's cattle herd, it totaled around 70 million head as of January 1st of this year. But the Blaze reports that, well, it's down about 2% from last year's crop. And I, I saw a news report. I don't know what it, what agency it was, whether it was one of these morning shows or one of these, you know, whatever it was. It doesn't matter. And I saw them interviewing these cattle guys, right? And those guys say they're selling off their herds, right? They're, 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 the cost of feed is up. Uh, we're now seeing the lowest herd size in 73 years. The biggest reason for that, drought, of course, farmers and ranchers, you know, are having to haul hay to other places and that raises, you know, uh, prices along with a number of other things. So um, we'll just see where it goes. I don't know. You might say, hey, Drew, I don't care. I don't eat meat. Right. Okay. That's that's good. I, I think, you know, if you take a look at pork, here's the other thing. And I don't mean to talk too much about food today, but pork prices are super low. Oh my gosh. It's ridiculous. And I know they're trying to market that as the other, you know, the other meat, the white meat. Of course, chicken is always good too. A lot of, a lot of vegetarians out there though. So, Hey, uh, speaking of, uh, the economy and policies, I mean, we're in a rough place. I think a lot of this is driven from some of the uh, environmental policies that we saw, you know, the energy policies that went into place in this country and a lot of other things. Um, the president, he's been making news, right? And I want to share with you a little bit uh, more on uh, the vice president who's ready to serve, she says. But the special counsel, that report when it came out about President Biden, how he mishandled those classified documents, uh, they're not going to, of course, seek prosecution. We talked about this yesterday because of you know, his memory issues. He's kind of an affable, kind old man with bad memory, that type of thing. So what happens after we talked about this yesterday? I saw reports, and I just find this curious. I don't know if this affects how you're going to vote or what you think. How do you feel about Vice President Kamala Harris? What do you think about her as a president? I mean, her poll numbers have been notoriously horrible. In a uh, Wall Street Journal interview, Harris was asked about her ability to serve and um, here's what she said. Listen. Uh, questions about the president's age often go hand in hand with questions about how you would step in the role, you know, if necessary. Do you feel prepared for that possibility? Uh, and serving as vice president prepared you for, for that job? Yes. Um, and how would you, you know, describe the, that, that process? Which process? Like as far as, you know, being ready for that. To, for that. Well, first of all, let's, I'm answering your hypothetical. Um, but Joe Biden's going to be fine. So that is not going to come to fruition. But let us also understand that every vice president, every vice president, understands that when they take the oath, that they must be very clear about the responsibility they may have to take over the job of being president. I am no different. See how fast she answered yes. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I mean um, but he's fine. Nothing's no, going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yes, um, I mean, I love these one-word answers too. I mean, how about when you know Lloyd Austin and and John Kirby and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, all these people were asked about what was happening, you know, with Ukraine, a lot of these other places, or even Hamas. I mean, don't you know when they were referring to Iran, I really should say don't. It was like these one-word answers, like, oh, that's that's really tough. It's like, don't, don't what, right? Yes, what? You want to run? She goes, I'm ready to serve. There's no question about that. She goes, yes. Um, do you think she could lead? Does she have the uh, ability to do that? I mean, she 
was charged to take care of the border right after Joe Biden reversed the uh, former president's policies of remain in Mexico and they stopped building the wall. And yet we have the greatest border crisis in the country. Um, I think a lot of people, and it's not just a Republican talking point, I think think there are a number of Democrats who are concerned as well. But it raises questions as to who, right? There's people saying Michelle Obama. Would you vote for Michelle Obama? Why would you vote for Michelle Obama? The thing about Trump, just the difference between these no-name, non-political type of people. Like Trump was one of those. I thought Trump hadn't, I didn't think he had a shot in creation of, of winning the presidency, but he did. People said, well, this guy runs a multi, you know, multi, multi-million dollar corporations and, you know, he's got business acumen. So, okay, you could see him leading a country then, ha- handling the executive office. What about Michelle Obama? Could she do that? Um, okay, well, let's take her out of the mix. She and Oprah, let's say they're not going to run. What about Gavin Newsom? It almost like a lot of people felt he was running a shadow campaign, right? What about the Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer? Would she run? What about Andy uh, Bashir, the, the Kentucky governor? I mean, who do you run? Who do Democrats run? Here's my personal take on it. I don't think Joe Biden's going to be, I don't think he's going to be the nominee. I, I really don't. Now, that's just personal perspective. It, it really is. And I'm an American first, right? I hate the division in this country. I want unity. I, mean, I want us to work together. You know, the, the, former pre- the current president said that, you know, he would be a unifier. Um, you know, and the people like that. They wanted to. They wanted to get behind that. I don't think we've seen that. We've had one of the most divisive four years that I can really remember, and a lot of these policies have been quite detrimental. So, who, if not Kamala Harris, will fill in? That's a story, I think, for another day. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Chad in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Let me sneak a quick call or two in here. I've got to change gears in a minute, though. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great to talk to you. Thanks, I Chad. hope they run Kamala Harris. I, that would just be a gift. <laughs> I, that would that would be absolutely wonderful. I hope they run her. I hope that it, they debate frequently, and I think it would just be tremendous. Yeah, yeah I was saying, hey, pray for Joe Biden's health, right? <laughs> pray, pray that he runs. Uh, you know, because I, I that would be even better. Because you know, the the next election really should be about policy, not about personality or skin color or identity. I mean, that's the problem. I hate these uh, identity politics where somebody's got to become a vice president or a Supreme Court justice or some position because they have a certain skin tone, color, or sexual orientation. It's just like let's just put the most qualified person in. Let's let's talk policy. Right? Let's compare agendas. Right. So we'll see. Chad, thanks. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I know we'll talk you. more. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Can I sneak Paul in too? Let me sneak him in very quickly. We've got Andrea Pachati Bayer coming up in a minute here, but Paul's a doctor out of uh, Los Angeles. Paul, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, uh, Mr. Drew. Um, the problems with the cattle and the meat problem is uh, I heard that farmers are paid to get rid of the cattle, both here and Europe. And uh, mm. in our clinic, we see a lot of allergic reactions. And then we don't know what's causing them. And then the school snacks has uh, chips, which could have an insect uh, protein, which is a problem. So just want to bring so, that out. And doctor, let me just uh, let me just get case. clarity on this. I want to make sure I'm understanding you. Do you think yes. that the so you're, you're seeing a bug protein then in some of the yes. food that the the cattle's yes. eating, and now it's manifesting in the population, exactly. or they're putting it in that food. 
and then the chips like a uh, children's snacks yes it's also there and then i tell the patients watch for that uh, luckily they put it on the label if it has insect protein we have to read that and avoid wow. that uh, fascinating hey uh, paul thank you very much for calling i appreciate the insight and uh, feel free to join me anytime that's i'll have to look into that that's that, that should give us all some some pause there's a lot a lot coming in the days ahead. I, I know a lot of people want to get online with me, um, but i got to change gears just quickly here. I want to talk about something else you need to know about, too, and more policy, right? More policy regarding um, the government mandating, you know, when you can be open, when you can't be, what you've got to sell. I want to talk about grandparents and gender identity and policies and adoption, a whole lot of other things. Uh, let's start with Chick-fil-A, all right? I want to start off with a story I've been following here, and I like Chick-fil-A. I, first of all, I like the food, right? Um, for years now, the the liberal culture, they've been out to get any business that goes against the prevailing elite ideology, right? I think you probably agree with that. Hobby Lobby is another example. Uh, their owners are Christians. They're closed on Sundays. Why? Because they want to keep hold of the Sabbath. Uh, they were forced to pay for employees' abortions by the Obama administration. Do you remember that? And they said, no way, we're not going to do this. So they sued and they won. It's just like the little sisters of the poor having to, you know, pay for contraception. What are you, crazy? Are you are you kidding me? Right? Another chain, uh, Chick-fil-A, and I, I wish they were open Sunday, but I respect the fact they're not, right? Right? Uh, like Hobby Lobby, they want to respect Sunday as a day for God. The owners of the store came under fire uh, a couple of years ago by some gay, roots, gay rights groups for supporting organizations like the Heritage Foundation or the Family Research Family Council. So the uh, they actually stopped making contributions to those groups as, as a result of that. Uh, but the gay rights groups and their political supporters, uh, they never recognized that. Uh, so they're still under fire. The latest salvo in this whole attack is uh, taking place in New York. There's a bill under consideration that it would require any restaurant that operates at rest stops on the interstate highway system to be open on Sundays. And the only restaurant that this would impact, the only one out of all the ones that service, you know, those throughways, is Chick-fil-A. Is it being targeted at them specifically, do you think? Or, you know, is it just something that they want to make sure is a policy for everyone else? You have to leave the... the, the uh, you know, that business there. Andrea Pichotti Bayer, director of the Conscience Project, joins me right now. You can find her at this website, conscience-project.org. Andrea, thank you for joining me. It's good to have you back. Oh, Drew, thank you so much for inviting me on. I always love being with you. Well, a couple of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about this story with you. I also want to talk about a, a story I just saw that you wrote about, too, dealing with grandparents. But let's start with Chick-fil-A first. Um, the legislation. It's not directly targeting Chick-fil-A, and I want to be fair about that, but, but you know, everybody can see it really is kind of targeting it at them. They're the only one that it will affect. Uh, fill us in on what's happening here. Uh, can they challenge this on the basis of the principle that, that laws can't be written against specific persons or groups? Or you know, how do you see this playing out? And what do you think is the ideology behind it? I don't want to you know, say, hey, oh, the, the government's coming after them because of their, you know, their, their position on Sundays. But how do you, how do you see the big picture? Yeah, no, those are all really great questions. And I do think that there's um, something to be said about the targeting of um, Christian businesses like Chick-fil-A for their position against, um, you know, same-sex marriages. This is, is of a different 
Stripe. It's looking at their strict Sabbatarian commitments to keep closed on Sundays. Um, but I think that there's something to be said about is there spillover effect? And that's, you know, if this this kind of um, law was passed and litigation started, it, it's worth looking into. Um, but but the issue is here, you know, there's a 33 a year contract that was signed with um, a private group to administer um, the 500 mile throughway in um, in New York and kind of revamp all of the rest stops, which is awesome, right? Anyone that's taken advantage of, oh, yeah. of traveling across our country, you know, you know, you need to take a break every so often, especially if you have a car full of kids. Um, and, and the concession, this group that was managing the concessions has entered into contracts, 33 year contracts with different groups, including Chick-fil-A, um, knowing that in that contract that they're closed on Sundays and, um, a state, uh, a lawmaker has proposed a bill to say, moving forward, we need to oblige any, any contractor, any restaurant that's going to be, um, providing services in this throughway to be open on Sundays. But what's really unique, Drew, is in in the actual language itself, it does mention Chick-fil-A, mm. which I think is a big red flag. Wow. Um, you know, so that it is, there's a lot of evidence here about targeting and um, targeting for unfair treatment. Um, Chick-fil-A as, as an organization, as an entity, um, you know, as a lawyer, I see this in one way. And then as a regular person, a normal person, I see it, in, it with a different view as a Catholic. I see it with, with different views. But just, you know, as a lawyer itself, this is really problematic proposed legislation. I'm hoping that there's enough of a public outcry um, against this so that it doesn't actually yeah. get enacted. Um, fortunately, it wouldn't affect the Chick-fil-A's that are there, right. at least for the next 30 years. But it it definitely does um, put a shadow over the the respect that we have for private companies, for yeah. companies to be able to operate consistent with their beliefs. Um, there are exceptions in this rule for, you know, farmers markets so again, it shows that this isn't um, a generally applicable law. It's not a neutral law. And when we think about it, um, yeah. most of these rest stops have other options available. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so just like any of us, when you're like, oh, let's go out for eat on a Sunday, and you're ah, oh, Chick Fil A is closed. Right. There's there are other options. So it's not like we're leaving American um, travelers right. stranded and hungry. Yeah, I could um, see that if it applied universally and there was no food on the freeway for for Sundays. You know, just in terms of um, our ability to practice freely religion, would, would this violate their right? Could they make a case that, hey, you know, we don't want to be open because, you know, we, we believe that we have to keep the Sabbath holy? Would it violate their rights to freely practice a religion? You know, I think the fact that the government, at least this proposed legislation, no. does have a lot of evidence showing that they're targeted. No. It does run afoul of the general rule that you can't discriminate based on religion. Um, the next step is, you know, looking at this, this rule, is it excluding people or in this case, you know, a, a company because of their religious beliefs. And I think there's a lot to be said. Um, it's not. And the other thing is, you know, the government can't burden religion unless it 
satisfies strict scrutiny, this high legal standard, when you're not dealing with a general law. And I just don't think it does. It doesn't satisfy that very high standard that the government has to live up to. We'll see how it plays out. I'm I'm glad that they are keeping holy the Sabbath. I'm delighted by that. Hey, I saw a piece you wrote, and I want to talk about this. I, I, uh, let me give some perspective to those who are, are listening. And, and I, I think most people would agree that we're witnessing an escalating debate right now around the intersection of gender ideology and and family and religious freedom. And I, I, I'm grateful for what you did because you wrote a piece about how this has now reached the doorsteps of grandparents who want to provide a loving home for their children. A lot of grandparents are raising their kids. So the Biden administration, a lot of various state courts have now introduced measures that prioritize gender ideology over the traditional family structure, which to me is just absolutely mind-boggling. And uh, who's in the crosshairs of this? The children. Children in need of foster care. Children in a need of of adoption. And these new rules are being proposed. And could well, they could alienate those uh, whose religious beliefs don't align with this contemporary gender ideology. My son just adopted a child, and I'm so glad he is in, because as Catholics, that this was the policy, um, I, I don't know how it would ripple out. Fill us in on what's now happening and, and how this requirement to affirm a child self-identified gender expression, how that can affect everything from foster care to adoption. You know, Drew, it's really disconcerting, um, and it's happening not only at in some states, um, but also at the federal level. The Biden administration has just put together some rules identifying what's considered a, quote, safe and appropriate placement for a child. And again, we're talking about children that self-identify as having a gender identity different than the biological sex, basically excluding from the, you know, the, the availability to foster them um, to care for these needy, vulnerable children, anyone that's not willing to affirm gender identity. And, and the description that the administration has put out in proposed rules is that you have to use preferred pronouns. You have to be willing to um, facilitate medical care, medical interventions that we all know are, are not um, consistent. You know, they're not proven to be helpful to children and, and in many cases have harmed them those kinds of interventions. Um, it's really a, a problematic proposed rule, and, and I worry about its implications for taking children out of homes yeah. um, that won't affirm children who are facing gender dysphoria. The, the, there's currently some litigation going on um, involving the state of Oregon that was requiring a pr- prospective adoptive mom, like right. your son, you know, wanted to adopt a child. Right. Um, she wanted to adopt two children under the age of 10, young children and she was taking some certification trainings where the state of Oregon was asking her to, you know, again, affirm a prospective gender identity, not even children that have identified as having, you know, gender identity issues, prospectively agree to bring kids to gay pride parade events, to bring them for medical interventions, to use preferred pronouns to dress, allow a child and facilitate a child dressing in a way that was different than their biological sex. This mom, Jessica Bates, who's amazing, said, hey, you know, I'm I'm a devout Christian and I can't do that. I will I will care and love this child. I will avoid using pronouns that are going to create 
any kind of difficulty for a child if that comes up. But I'm talking about 10, you know, kids under the age of 10 um, who need a loving home. Um, Her case, she lost in the the lower federal courts. She's at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And um, on behalf of, of three different families, I submitted an amicus brief. And one of those families were grandparents that are raising their two-year-old grandson in Washington state. And they too have been in the process of considering perhaps adopting their grandson. Um, And, and they were given some training materials. And one of the questions that, that grandma and grandpa were asked is if your five-year-old grandson wants to go to kindergarten in a red dress, what will you do? And, and they said, you know, no, you know, that, that, that's yeah, right. inconsistent with our beliefs as Christians or just generally beliefs of, of what is proper for, for a young boy to be, be doing and manifesting. Right. And they're worried. They're worried about losing um, the ability to care for their grandson. They're worried about the maybe being prevented from adopting him. So, so Andre, we only have a, a few minutes left here. And if you're just listening, to, just tuning in, I'm speaking today with uh, Andrea Pichotti Bayer. You can, um, if you missed any of this, go back to our podcast and get plugged into it, especially if you're a grandparent or you're thinking of adopting. Uh, what are the long-term implications for religious freedom if courts roll against, let's say, Jessica Bates, right? I, I know you wrote about the Freemans as well in your piece, and your piece is available where? The best place to get that is, is uh, the Conscience Project? You can look at it on our website at conscience-project.org, or, you know, it's on Fox News yeah. um, with Fox Opinion. Um, you know, the long-term effects are many people of faith are going to opt out of these important social service programs because they're unwilling to to do things inconsistent with their faith, or they may be forced to be quiet. You know, we know that especially in foster care and adoption for Catholics, that's been part and parcel of, of the church's presence here in the United States. Um, And to lose people of faith from this important um, service to vulnerable kids would be a travesty and, and almost re-victimize kids who haven't been cared for the way they deserve to be yeah. cared for out of their, their families of origin. Well, I'm grateful for what you do. And I want to put a plug in for your organization. Um, and again, Andrea is, uh, uh, she's the director of the conscience project. Find them online at conscience dash project.org conscience dash project.org. What will people find there? I, I don't know if, you know, I hope people will bookmark it. I hope they'll put it on their radar, but what you plug everyone into what you do. You know, we have a lot of written material, op, uh, opinion pieces, but we also have a cool video series, um, three-minute little videos, wow. just getting a sense of what's going on because religious freedom is under attack and people of faith need to be prepared um, to defend their beliefs, to exercise their freedom, um, and to help defend it in the public square. This is an important core freedom for American society, and, and we can't let it go without a fight. Andrew, thanks so much for your time and for all that you do. Keep writing, okay? All right. Thanks, Drew, and have a great afternoon. Time. Thank you so much. It's Andrew Pichotti Bayer. Again, check out the Conscience Project, uh, the Conscience Project. If I can get that out of my mouth, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll change gears. Uh, boy, we've got a lot to share with you today, a lot to unpack. So stay with me. I'll be right back. All the news and issues of the day. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, today we'd like to thank Santi, who's listening in Maine, for donating his 1983 Jaguar XJ6. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs. 
by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. The things that have changed with Obergefell and Windsor versus the U.S., Supreme Court decisions, executive decrees, all sorts of things leave us, quite frankly, bewildered, right? I mean, even the gloom and doom prophets never saw this coming. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. That's Dr. Scott Hahn. I think he's, man, I think he's absolutely right. Brilliant man. Great convert. Clearly has his finger on the pulse of what's happening. He sees the big picture. You know, I was just talking with Andrea Petrati Bayer about New York's proposed legislation that would force Chick-fil-A, you know, to all their stores and restaurants to be open on Sunday when they close their stores universally. They want to keep holy the Sabbath. They're good Christian people. Then you heard our conversation about gender ideology, right? How it's impacting grandparents who just want to take care of their grandkids, right? But the state of Washington, no, they're saying you have to raise that child as we see fit. You're not the primary educator. We are. That's not exactly what they're saying, but you get the point, right? Your five-year-old, six-year-old kid wants to go to school and wear a red dress, and you're saying that's not a good idea, Bobby, right? Well, the state, (laughs) they might say something totally different. Those were just two examples we just discussed of what I think is an ailing culture, a sick culture. And look, I'm a man of hope. I think there's solutions. I think there are answers to these problems. I'm not going to bury my head in the sand. I've got children, and now my, since my son adopted, I've got a grandchild. I have hope for the future because of people like you and me and like my next guest, Dr. Jay Richards, who's going to be joining me in a minute here. He just came out with a book, by the way, and you probably recognize him. He's been on the show with me many times. We've talked fasting. We've talked economy. We've talked a whole litany of things. Um, there's a lot going on, though, right? I sit back, and I had mentioned to you the administration trying to force nuns, like the Little Sisters of the Poor, and other Catholic employers, like Relevant Radio. They, they, they want Catholic groups who diametrically oppose those types of policies to pay for abortions and contraceptions for their employees. Those sisters of the poor had to go to Supreme Court. Not once. They didn't let them go, but twice. I mean, just think of the optics of the little sisters of the poor, and you're trying to force them to go ahead and to, to provide contraceptions and pay for abortions. It's ridiculous, right? Not once, but twice. You got California persisting in the same effort. You've got drag queens you know, that go before, you know, we, we talked about Dodger Stadium and public libraries, and they want to read to kids. This garbage is being supported by by lawyers who call themselves, you know, Christians in some cases. We're, we're, we're at a time of great confusion. We've had riots in major cities where, where, where even police stations are being burned down. I just saw footage of, of uh, you know, police officers in New York City getting pummeled. You know, what happens? People are arrested, they'll let go, or nobody's arrested? You know, yet, what do you see on the other side of the of the, uh, the street, right? You got the FBI showing up in the early morning hours. They go to some pro-life activist like Mark Hoke, right? They pull out their guns, they go into the home, they terrify the wife and children, they take him out in handcuffs. What was the crime he committed? Did he burn down a building? Did he kick a cop? No, he, he, he pushed back on a abortion clinic worker who's getting in the face of his son. And as a result of that, that guy has been drugged, you know, around in chains. You had now have 11 pro-lifers. Or not 11 pro-lifers. I forget how many there are. Maybe a dozen or 10. They're facing 11 years in prison 
because they walked into an abortion clinic and they offered roses to women who were there. That was their crime. And that's not all. I'll leave it at that. You get the point, right? I'm just giving you the big picture here. The question is, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? A lot of people say, oh, let's just get along. You know, we'll go along to get along. There are those who want to fight back, right? I think this is a spiritual thing. I think we need to engage it um, a number of different ways. And my next guest, Dr. Jay Richards, who is a uh, senior reef research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, the executive editor of the stream.org, the author of a number of books. His latest, I'll tell you about, it's called Fight the Good Fight. I got it a couple of days ago. I had a chance to go through it over the weekend. Uh, the subtitle of it, by the way, is How the Alliance of Faith and Reason Can Win the Culture War. It's a must read. It really is. It's a great read. If you want some clarity, if you want some light in this dark culture, you want some hope, this is a great read. He co-authored it, and he's here to join me today to talk about how the Alliance of Faith and Reason can win the culture war. Doctor, congratulations on your latest work. It's fantastic. I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks so much, sir, and thanks for having me. It is kind of odd to be here on Mardi Gras right before Ash Wednesday and not be talking about fasting, but that's, that's right. when the, today's the book came out. No, I so. thought I'd give you a break. <laughs> We're always calling you for fasting. But I, yeah, I got your book, and I went through it, and uh, for, like I said, I think it's a must-read. It should be on people's uh, you know, spirit, in their spiritual libraries. There's a lot of books that have come out on the subject recently, mm. uh, and there are some that have basically said, well, it's time for the Lord to come back, so let's just go hide ourselves. You know, they have these mm. these different approaches, you know, some pretty extreme. Um, your book approaches this in a number of different ways, so... Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about your approach and and the hope that you see. I mean, we're in the battle, but in the end, yeah. good always conquers evil, doesn't it? It does, and we know that is we know the ultimate end of the story. We never know for sure how the ending of our chapter is, and if our chapter is the sort of history of our particular country, right. um, I think that the fight is still there and it's still in play. Just because things look so bad at the moment. Um, you know, Christians and Catholics in particular kind of are tempted, and I get it, to just think, okay, this whole this whole thing is lost. Let's just sort of give up. Um, but as you know, I've been in the middle of the gender ideology fight for oh, three yeah. years Absolutely. with the Heritage Foundation, and what I've discovered is that we are in a completely different cultural and political environment. If you were involved in, of course, the long decades-long fight over abortion. Uh, the fight over the defense of natural marriage, which had a you know, terrible, uh, at least lost the battle in 2015 with the Obergefell decision at the Supreme Court. You could sort of think, OK, well, this is just going to continue to be the way it goes in which the kind of forces of sexual liberation and radical ideology just keep winning victory after victory. What people don't realize, though, is that the other side has gotten so insane. Uh, I mean, think about it. They were, we're now the official public philosophy is that we shouldn't believe that there are males and females. So we shouldn't believe a deliverance of basic reason that every human being in every culture at every time and place is recognized. That's now up for grabs in our culture. And as a result of that, it is creating a counter revolution or a reaction among people that we might not have thought of as our allies. So it's not just Social conservatives, Catholics, evangelicals, Orthodox Jews, Mormons, so, you know, the people that show up in front of Planned Parenthood clinic on Saturday morning. It's all those people, but it's also people that identify as lesbian and gay. It's yeah. atheist evolutionary biologists. Yeah. It's parents of not any particular religious affiliation that just 
know they have daughters or sons and don't want the schools telling them otherwise. This ends up being a, a massive coalition of people that's much uh, more different and more diverse, but I think also kind of more more hopeful and has more potential than you know some of the coalitions that we have been working on uh, to help build over the last few decades. That's what we call this alliance of faith and reason, which I think at the moment is we're just in its sort of very beginning stage. Uh, are we in a post-Christian society? How do you how do you see us? Yes. So we're not only in a post-Christian society, I think I think thinking of what Pope Benedict the Sixteenth said is that the time would soon come. He predicted this, in which it would be the church that would be the final Amen. defender of public reason. That uh, you know, a few decades ago, we sort of thought of kind of secular progressivism as the thing that challenges to the public square. Yeah. It had a pretense of universal reason. It claimed to be based on science. Those days are long gone. We're now in a situation where the public philosophy is fundamentally anti-rational. So that, like I said, the atheist evolutionary biologist who just thinks, you know, that sex is real, that males and females exist, we have more in common with him than we have uh, with the kind of commanding heights of culture. And so that's causing a lot of people, including people on the other side, to think of themselves as leftist politically, that might think of themselves as secularist. They're, they're having second thoughts. They're like, okay, if my friends and the people I trusted don't know the difference between boys and girls, how much else are they wrong about? And how much have I been wrong about it? How much do I need to rethink? That's happening right now in this country. And I could say, you know, in my adult life, nothing like that had happened before. My guest today, Dr. Jay Richards, if you want to join us, you can dial in right now. Let me give you the phone number. Numbers 888 Nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We're talking about a brand new book that's out, um, and, and what Doctor Richards does. If you're just joining us, um, he he's looking at really a strategic alliance of both faith and reason. That, that's what we need to combat what we're witnessing: the societal decay, uh, the erosion of our constitutional pr principles, the uh, attempts to erase gender distinctions, the accumulation even of debt. It's a it's a broad uh, focus, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. But the emphasis of the book is the spiritual nature of the battle, and really a call for, for penance and for prayer and for clear thinking and for collective action to re reverse the course of this country right now. And if we can do that, we're going to have a much brighter future. Uh, how does reason, doctor, let's talk about how, how, well, maybe you can elaborate on the role of faith first in combating this cultural de decline. How does faith do that? And how does reason complement faith in the battle? Well, you know, I, I quote the famous encyclical by John Paul II uh, on faith and reason. And we talks about faith and reason as like sort of the two wings that lift up the spirit to contemplate the truths of God. And as Catholics, we've always believed that there, that reason has access to things. In fact, we believe the catechism says we can prove the existence of a creator just by natural reason without revelation. But of course, we're not supposed to live just on natural reason alone, we're supposed to rely on God's revelation of himself. And so as Christians, we, we have access to both of those things, but we're not always so good at doing that in the public square. Either we, we just sort of lead with our theology that doesn't make sense to atheists, or we're embarrassed about it, or we don't actually know how to make arguments based on public reason. So in every chapter of the book, whether we're talking about 
the American founding or religious liberty or trade or defense or whatever. We try to model, okay, here's a way to understand this and argue this theologically, but here's another way to argue this in terms of what would traditionally be called a kind of natural law approach, you know, which you appeal to principles and things that people know, uh, even if they happen not to believe in God or not, not to be Catholic. And so it's a kind of a naturally Catholic way of approaching this. It's actually a traditionally American approach, because if you look at the founders, virtually none of whom were, were Catholics, they nevertheless believed in reason and the natural law. And that's something that I think we can build on as Catholics. Well, when we come back, we'll grab a few phone calls. The number here, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. If you want to sound off, share your concerns or your views or what you're seeing unfold. Uh, if you want to ask Dr. Richards a question, feel free to do that. We'll go to the phones also when I come back. I only have about 10 minutes with him, so good time to get in. If you want the book, Doctor, before I take a break, what's the best way to pick it up? Uh, how do they get that? Just all major bookstores or... Absolutely. Yeah. You can just get fight the good fight at Amazon or you can go to regnery.com and order it straight from the website. All right. Stay with us. We're back with more right after this. Insight and analysis right here. It's the Drew Mariani Show. Relevant Radio. Hey, if you have real estate or land that you no longer need, well, consider the advantages of donating it to Relevant Radio. The process is easy and the tax advantages can be huge. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash property. Tell one friend about the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I'm not holding a small cup, Drew. I'm handing a, <laughs> holding an extra large cup. A bucket. Every weekday at 4 Eastern, 1 Pacific on Relevant Radio. All right, thanks for joining me. The Chaplet is about 10 minutes away. You can try to queue up if you want to get on the air, if you want to join Dr. J. Richards. And maybe would love to talk with you. The number is 888-914-9149 if you just getting plugged in. I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Fight the Good Fight. How an Alliance of Faith and Reason Can Win the Culture War. I, you know, I, I look at the news as you do. I share it with you. I have a friend who listens in the state of Maine, and she says, I love your show, except sometimes I have to turn it off. And I'm like, why do you have to turn my show off? What don't you like? Well, to be honest with you, when I hear the news at the top of the hour sometimes, some of the stuff, I know you're right. She says, I know you're right, but Sometimes, oh my gosh, it's just so depressing. It's so dark. And, you know, we can be overshadowed by the darkness you know, if we don't have the light of our faith, right? If we don't use reason. That's that's what I, I think we're, we're facing such a... Um, a deficit of reason today. There's no rationality, right? There's no there's there's no thinking through these. I mean, you just look at the face of some of this stuff. I just will take abortion, which is so obvious. How, how do you think it's okay to kill a child, right? <laughs> it's just it's so obvious. Take a look at the gender ideology. Take a look at so many of these different things. So that that book is really a profound work, and um, it's a call to those who value these bedrock principles in which our founding fathers established this country on. That's what our nation was founded. We're a great nation. I want us to continue to be. And our founding fathers said we would only be a great nation. And we'd only succeed. This democratic republic would only succeed, be successful, if it was based on a virtuous people. And I think we've really lost our way. And we live in a time where the very fabric of our moral and our spiritual heritage is under assault. And we need to mobilize both faith and reason. And this book outlines that stark reality. So if you, you want some perspective, you want some hope, you, you want to really see things clearly, check it out. All right? Check it out. It's well worth uh, you reading. And uh, my guest today, Dr. 
Richard's, uh, he's, he's doing just that. He's imploring you to awaken to the spiritual battle at hand and recognize the fight also is not just against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that want to undermine the essence of all that God is, and that's truth and goodness. Right. Doctor, it's good to have you back today. I and I again I, I I love the book. I think it's it's fantastic. Let's let's pick up, I think, on an important point, and that is how can Christians maintain hope? How can we maintain resilience in the face of growing opposition? How do we apply faith? How do we apply reason uh, mm-hmm. to so many of these crazy policies that just seem to lack rationality and, and any sort of sanity to them? Well, they do. And this isn't something, Drew, that I actually realized when I got involved, especially in the gender ideology fight. As you know, I've been sort of involved in faith and politics stuff for years. But but this issue would actually create um, an opportunity for us, uh, an opportunity for Catholics who believe in the power of faith and of natural reason. Um, You know, we just sort of see the culture always moving in one direction. But Remember, any society, any society of laws is going to have to – it has – reality has a say in these things. And so if you just decide you're going to um, exempt gravity and you're going to pass a law against gravity, you know, gravity is not going to listen. Right. Laws of physics don't change that way. Right. Same thing with the kind of basic biology and basic economics. There's yeah. just these realities out there. What it, I, it, Honestly, I hadn't thought about, but it, at some point – uh, the a public culture gets so crazy that it's so out of keeping with basic realities that even people that are just, you know, just sort of trusting their own light of reason all of a sudden realize, okay, something different is happening now. I mean, you, you talked about abortion. I mean, abortion involves us denying a basic truth of embryology about when life begins. Here's the difference, though, is that no one directly experiences that, right? Unless you study biology, it's easy for people to kind of forget that and just sort of leave it all murky. On the other hand, everyone directly experiences male and female, boy and girl. We all know that. Every culture recognizes it. And so for 50 years, our public culture has denied the basic truths of embryology, which you can know by reason, but you have to kind of go and look for it. Now it's denying the direct deliverances of our eyesight and our experience and our reason in a way that uh, it's just never been more blatant. And so I think that's why all of a sudden a lot of people that were sleeping culturally and morally that just really didn't realize what it was at stake, all of a sudden realize, okay, these people are coming for our children yes, and we got to do something about it. That creates an opportunity for us. So, I mean, we live in a strange time. I mean, it's, I can't believe where we've come in just five to mm. 10 years, right? I mean, ever since uh, Obergefell yeah. and, it's this slippery slope, and we're accelerating down it. And I, I guess the question is, uh, how do you address the skepticism towards religion today, towards conservative values uh, in today's society that really rejects them and, and throws out reason, you know, with them? Because they're really rooted in, 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 in reason. You know, how do you address today's society that just outright rejects you know, those values. Well, I mean, you've got to make a public witness, but you've got to do it well. I mean, even like the question about sex and gender, um, you know, there are Christians will often make kind of bad arguments about this stuff in the public square. You know, how exactly do you find male and female? It's actually a little more complicated uh, than you'd realize. And so first, sometimes it's just kind of boning up on the details. That's the point of this book is to help people that look, can't study this stuff full time. Okay. What is the gist 
what are the key things that you need to understand, the key distinctions? Because what I'm picturing, Drew, is we join battle with people that we disagree with on other things. This right. might be radical feminists who are pro-choice, but that right. totally hate gender ideology and think right. girls should be able to compete against girls, right? Right, right. Um, that we we will gain credibility with those people by fighting with them and defending something they see very, is very important. That creates a different opportunity than if they were just seeing us as opponents, right? So yeah. then when we later want to reserve the right to, say, talk about abortion or talk about the nature of marriage, we're much more likely, I think, to be heard and to have a fruitful conversation than we would have before, say, five or ten years ago, uh, when there, there just didn't seem to be any bridging of the divide. That's yeah. the good news. There's a lot of people on the left yeah. that are secular that still have more or less the yeah. command of reason, and they see some of the light of truth. And this is our opportunity to affirm that, to fight with them for it, uh, and then reserve the right, as I say, for a wider conversation about all the other things we disagree with. That makes sense because, you know, I, I look at, it's almost a three-prong attack on people of faith mm -hmm. and on reason. You have the government pushing a transgender agenda. You've got the media and our educational system, you know, pushing these all these different ideologies that are out there. And it's a tough trifecta to push back against. So I think you're right. We need to stand and, and be a public witness. And I think your strategy of allying, uh, creating these alliances and uh, going after these things one at a time will make a difference. What was your biggest takeaway? I only have a moment or two left in writing the book. I mean, I know whenever I do research for a book or something I'm working on, I'm oh, always wow. surprised to learn something. What was it that, that surprised you the most or your biggest takeaway? Well, probably just that there are lots of these arguments, say, for abortion uh, and marriage in particular. If you think who's on the left that they're going to really disagree with me. Well, I've gotten to know a lot of people like this that describe themselves as atheist liberals. But they know my views on gender stuff. And they'll say, OK, now give me your argument about marriage. OK, what do you think about abortion? And they listen and they might disagree, but they say, OK, that's a rational view. That's not the kind of hateful, irrational view that I imagined conservative Christians holding. And I don't think it's, I knew how to make these arguments two or three years ago, but I just think we're now in a different context in which people are willing to hear us. Those that, uh, th those that already especially have done something costly to defend the truth as they can see it, and a lot of people like that, they're dis they're more disposed to listen to us on other things than I think they were even a few years ago. So you have hope for the future, Doc? Absolutely. And I have not hope just not just for the cosmic future and which God's established for all time, yeah. but for the future of our country. Amen. I think there's still some some fight here. I do, too. I think there's been an anointing on this country. I think there's a lot of good people there. we seem outnumbered. Evil often seems bigger than it really is. And, and these bad policies and evil itself always just collapses ultimately on itself. So hopefully we can Absolutely. be the pillars that will uphold the country and get it back on the right track. Your book, again, Fight the Good Fight, How an Alliance of Faith and Reason Can Win the Culture War. It's out from Regnery Press. I know people can follow you at DRJ Richards, at Dr. J. Richards. And again, best place to get the book? Uh, Amazon.com or Regnery.com. All right, we'll check out both of those. We'll try to put a link up. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. It's always great to talk with you. Great to be with you, Joe. That's Dr. Jay Richards. And uh, again, the book is called Fight the Good Fight. It's out today. So we have a great opportunity to talk about it. Check it out. Uh, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy is straight ahead. If you want to join me, you can get in right now. The number is 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Do me a favor, too. Tell others about the chaplet. Have them join us. 
We will also be streaming it live on YouTube and on our Facebook platforms, and you can join us that way as well. All right? So if you need prayer, let's gather together. We'll make a difference, okay? That's straight ahead. I'll be praying for you. Say a prayer for me, too. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. 